Hello, friends. This is Michael from Hannigan Media, sitting in the courtroom of Henderson County Judge Wade McKinney. How you doing, Judge? Uh, doing well, Michael. Good morning. So you had any sleep lately? Uh, a little bit, yes. A <laughs> you, little, little you, bit. I know you. Um, <laughs> when we're up, you're usually up. Yeah, so. It was a very busy week. It has been, yes. We will say that. It was a very busy week. Um, it all started... And it's uh, 10 days ago or so, Yeah, 12 um, days ago now. Uh, I, it's kind of a blur. It really is. The um, bridges started to ice, I believe, Friday a week ago, which right. would have been on the 12th, I believe. You know, that's really when it began. Okay, so you guys stand up the EOC, which is the um, governmental uh, way of saying that you – uh, turn on the emergency operations center, you turn the lights on, you bo- open up the really big book that you've trained on you personally for, I don't know, 26 years yes. now. And you, I think the main members there are you, the sheriff, and the fire marshal. Correct. And you guys start working. Um, tell us a little bit about that process you know you don't get into the weeds but right. tell us a little bit about that process what that is i mean are you do you actually have a specific location you're meeting is there a is there a room where you've got maps on the wall and all that kind of stuff well there is um when you look at a small scale um or as what we've been going through with the pandemic this time that first few months we had the EOC operating, and it was based out of the annex building that we're working there. That is our building that we use that would provide for space plus all of the support mechanisms. The winter storm is a bit different due to um, power issues and along that. Is to there is a um, training room, uh, what was used to be originally and soon as a um, uh, JP office in the jail actually that um, we move into events like this because of the backup power generation, all of the network support, computer support, and all that. And basically, we began operating at a level one, as they call it. There are, are three levels to operation. We began at level one, escalated to two uh, by Saturday, um, really Saturday afternoon. We were at three and in the actual EOC at the jail. So you actually, um, you personally signed a disaster declaration uh, and got that out. You got it out early. I think it was on Sunday. Yeah, Sunday night about 1130. And you were the first one. Um, One of the questions I've seen or I've heard asked in the public is, you know, what exactly does that mean? I mean, you guys, the government issued disaster declarations. I know you did, the city of Athens did, I know other cities did. Um, what does that actually mean? I mean, okay, so it's a disaster. What does that mean to me, the citizen? What that is, is a, an official notification to the state that what is happening is going to exceed the local capabilities to respond to. And by that action, to the state, it gets it compiles that material from all of the entities, and then it presents its opportunity for declaration, which in this case, due to Texas being so large, the governor had already declared 
so that they could take that information to the federal government so we can get a national declaration, which allows for the FEMA and all of that to come in. And that is why you saw that the first declaration from the federal government was for 77 counties, of which Henderson County was a part of. The next day, I believe there was an additional that brought them up to 105. It, that is the purpose of the declaration, and it allows us to respond quicker. It allows for procurement to because there's a lot of red tape when it comes to procurement. Sure, and normally if you're over a certain amount of money or you're doing something, you got to go through the normal process. Right. You got to do bids. You got to go through commissioner's court. You got to do those yes. kinds of things. And so by declaring a disaster, you cut through some of that red tape. Yes, and it immediately makes for the tracking of all of that in a response immediately if you reach a certain threshold of expenditures reimbursable. So much of it is um, accounting and bureaucratic but the actual clearing the way for immediate response is really what we see on the outside. So the other thing that I know that you guys did um, that was really vital was to um, open up warming centers. Yes. Because the warming shelters, there were three of them, uh, one in Athens, one in Mercus, and one in Trinidad. And those were really vital because that was the time period when people were without power yes. in the county. Um, when it was well below freezing. Talk about that process. Did that also stem from the disaster declaration? It did, and I have to give right now the, a shout-out to so many individuals out there, including our sheriff and our fire marshal and their team, uh, fire departments. There were so many moving parts and individuals that had stepped up to make these shelters available and to get them operating within basically 12 hours. Uh, sheltering is one of the most difficult portions uh, when it comes to emergency management. Uh, those of us that went through the Katrina affair uh, back in, what, 05, um, can tell you that when we housed people here from New Orleans for 30 days. I remember uh, those days. We had the Kane Center open. Disciples Crossing was yes, eventually opened. Um, it was The fairgrounds was bringing people in. The Church of Christ, Church of Christ. had them in Malachi. Uh, them in Brownsboro. I mean, yeah, they scattered was, all over. It was it was a shelter crazy logistics or is a beast unto itself because not only do you have to shelter individuals, you have to feed them, you have to provide for their needs, and many of those needs um, are special needs. You know, we we received several individuals from the hospital at um, our facilities during this that uh, um, had additional needs other than just being warm. So this is the idea, too, that, um, and I know people in, in the public can get really frustrated quickly about this, and understandably, um, we need some place that we can open up. Mm -hmm. But there are so many hoops that you have to jump through, like, for instance, backup generators. Exactly. You can't have a place that doesn't have a backup generator. <clears throat> exactly. Um, that is one of the requirements that you must have because it's not much of a warming facility if you do not have some type of electricity. Sure. Yeah. And with the quote-unquote, as they call them, rolling blackouts that were in place, uh, you had to have that capability. Yeah, uh, there wasn't much roll. Uh, there wasn't much roll to it. And, <laughs> you know, we... we 
um, supported some of the cities as well that stood up shelters. Um, we know that uh, there were a few here in Athens that were were stood up, a few in Gum Barrel. You're talking about um, like churches, churches and, yes. and organizations that stood up their own shelter that wasn't necessarily connected to the disaster declaration and so they had they didn't have the same kind of rules to follow Uh, they didn't but they were supported you know this is a chain going up you know they open up and they work with their city emc working from there um we supported uh chandler with uh um, giving them one of our generators to to have on there right. so that there would be one on that end of the county. I know the when the the scariest thing there is the idea that you get a hundred people into a shelter and then the power goes out. Exactly. We had issues with one shelter of trying to get um, propane there. They had been operating, and of course the roads are slick. When they start running out of propane, it was, I believe that we got disciples crossing uh, propane that one night, like at 1130. You know, it took that long um, for us to get someone there because it was out of Tyler. The roads were slick and plus the overall demand from the community. So let's talk about the roads for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, they were um, really difficult for uh, most people to drive on. Right. Um, and I say it that way. Um, you see every once in a while, you see someone from back northeast like me or who has spent some time in cold weather climates um, that, that sort of understand how to drive on those kind of surfaces. But they're very, very dangerous. Yes. And a lot of roads were impassable. Mm-hmm. The question becomes, I know people screaming and yelling, why isn't someone out here clearing this road? How would you answer that? Well, what I would say is that Texas very rarely um, experiences the kind of weather that we received. If we do, it's usually up in the Panhandle area. That is actually, uh, the state is very fond of saying it's closer to Colorado than it is uh, Austin. So uh, the state does have some of equipment, but since it was an event that was statewide, there were not enough resources available to clear roads. That is one reason why TxDOT reached out to all of the counties in the state and asked for assistance. And in my 27 years, we have never been called on as a county to maintain a state highway. And basically you had all four commissioner's precincts that took the sections of 175 and 31 that were in their precincts and began blading operations trying to clear the roadway for the state. Um, and you, and the roads were prioritized so that commodities could begin to flow as soon as possible into the county because as we know, gasoline, milk, bread, water, um, it was almost a repeat of a year ago. Um, because individuals were needing these supplies. So um, I'm very proud of what the um, road commissioners and their crew, uh, not the county commissioners, I'm sorry, um, and their crews have done to get that moving. Once they finished uh, 31 and 175, it began um, from there. TxDOT would request other roads, farm-to-market roads to become in, and thankfully those roads are built to a consistency where you can use 
the motor graders to cut ice off of because those roads are very consistent and very hard. So we were able to bring that in. It's not as easy to do that very same on county roads. But by the time you went through the prioritization process of clearing we were in far enough in because we had three days of operations on state roads before the thaw and what we had done or what the commissioners had done were really beginning to take effect. And by that time, the county roads were beginning to so, melt. So the other part of that, too, is, I mean, you guys don't really have – Henderson County does not have the equipment. I mean, it seems to me you guys had to be um, using equipment – that wasn't made for the job, exactly. which everybody knows having the right tool for the job makes a huge difference when you have to um, use a different tool and try to make it work. It's never as good. It's not. And you could tell um, there is a um, part of the motor graders called a cutting edge that bolts on the moldboard that is a friction point and they wear out. And um, we were burning through moldboards using them in an application they were not designed for, uh, not moldboards, cutting edges, um, using them in an application that they were not designed for. But it was working and it, and it did help. And um, those road crews worked in terrible weather sure. trying to make it better. The other thing I know um, is that um, up north there are plenty of storage buildings filled with salt and dirt. Yes. Um, to put on the road so that you can get some traction. Um, I I am guessing that we don't have that. The the county does not. Um, there is a product that we have every now and then that can be used for that. It's not designed for it. Again, as we said, that's just not a product that is available to us. And um, the I'm not sure what the state had in its inventory, but there were sanding trucks working. I do not believe they had quite a lot of it on hand because it seemed that the further you went on, the more you saw them. But that first couple of days, they were having to stick strictly toward the bridges with their brine solution before they were able to get in the granule product that comes in. Um, and so I know the... the I, I can hear it without even talking to them. I can hear the public saying, well, how come they didn't have it in? Well, part of the reason is it comes down to funding and prioritization of the funds that you do have. If you have an event that is on the magnitude of this one that comes around, some are calling it a generation, uh, you you have funds that are have to be prioritized to meet your everyday needs. Let me let me break this down. And and if you want to be prepared for something that happens every ten years, you have to have the revenue and the funds for it, which translates into having to pay higher taxes yeah. or fees or something because that is how you get it available. Um, or you do less. You do with less in another area if you don't increase the fees to have that funding set aside to address an event that happens once in a generation or once every 20 years. So let me say that simply. If you want to have everything on hand that you need to deal with something that happens once every 50 years, 
is going to cost you. Oh, it is. I mean, we have, we have had discussions about this because of our frustration basically with a statewide event. Statewide. This event was not just a regional or a local, but a weather event across the state. Uh, we were so frustrated with supply availability. And we were talking to ourselves about, okay, this is never going to happen again. What do we do so that we do not have to rely on TDM or FEMA or any of the others? And the whole discussion plan runs into stock. What do you have in stock? Sure. You know, and most of the commodities are perishable. I was going to say, now what are you going to do? Now you got to rotate it. Now I got to find some place to put it. Exactly. Now I got to have somebody whose job it is to track it. Exactly. But, um, there have, there will definitely be at all levels, um, be it federal, be it state, be it all. When after you have a, uh, emergency response like this, there is an after action report that sits down and everybody throws, here's what did not work out on the table. And we have them locally, regionally, statewide and then federal and there will be many recommendations that come out of this once it's done with as you've even seen with the whole power grid issue with ERCOT and you know the state's going to have oh, many we hearings we don't hear even about want that. to talk about that right well now. it's the basis sure. for what put everybody in yeah. the, in this position okay so let's go back to or or, or expand on statewide event because okay. i think that um that's a factor that um, isn't getting enough recognition at this point, mm-hmm. which is the, the the entire state's emergency response is keyed towards um, specific events. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, here the 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 Henderson County Emergency um, Operations Center is something that gets put up when the tornado came through Eustis. Right. Um, and it's a specific area. You, you don't have, there's no place in the book that says, okay, this is what to do when the entire county is under an emergency or, or 911 goes out, not just mm-hmm. in the entire county, but in the entire county next to us too. Exactly. And, and, there is no plan for the magnitude of what we just went through. Right. And you spend years um, training emergency management-wise. And there was an old, I can't remember what general said it, was that every battle, battle plan is great until the first shot is fired. And then it, then it is all, you know, Make do with what you got and make it happen. And basically that, that in every instance, including these, is what has happened. Um, as we run down through water availability, um, the supply of water did not become sufficient from relief sources, I would say until yesterday. Here we are so many, so many days past. And when you have Every single water system, I believe, except for maybe one or two I in the entire 22 county. 22 under a water boil yeah. at one point. We're talking 70,000 roughly yeah. population under a water boil. Never yeah. seen that before. No. 
Uh, you know, so water is a huge demand at that point. And, you know, the organizations and individuals that stepped up during this circling, trying to find resources, that was one of the things that we had discussed during is that the state's not able to get us water due to the limited supply chain. Do we go out and buy it ourselves? Well, if we go out and buy it, then we take it. It's from our local sources. We take it away from individuals already getting it. So those are the things that you balance in through all of this. It is, okay, are you going to hurt people worse by trying to help them? Right. And you're making these decisions just complete. And, again, the the work that is done by uh, in this event by all the volunteers, all of the municipalities, uh, the sheriff and our fire marshal EM coordinator Shane uh, Renberg, uh, hats off to their crew and what they've done. They worked for um, nine days straight, slept in the EOC. I mean, it it was a huge undertaking. Yeah, yeah, we go back to that whole statewide thing. If if all of Henderson County lost all of its water mm-hmm. for whatever reason, normally you would expect the state to respond pretty quickly and trucks would roll in here with plenty of water and we'd be right. okay. But that's only if Henderson County is the only one without water. Right. I think I saw at one point like half of the state was out of water. Exactly. And, exactly. And there's no plan for that sort of, of response, and there's not much that you can do about that. Uh, I, one of my experiences, and everybody has them, you know, we, we were without power at our home for uh, almost four days, right at four days. And um, we were drawing water out of a well, an, an old open well. You know, throw your rope and bucket in and draw your water out. Thank God that that old well was there. But um, when you look at the power outages that happened uh, and took all of that down, at one point it is almost safe to say that the entire county was either out of water because of issues with the water system or from power being out. That just is mind-blowing. Yeah. It's mind-blowing. Um, one of the last things I want to talk about in in – one of the things that it appeared to me um, that I was really proud of was um, the people of Henderson County yes, sir. seemed to respond for the most part really well under really terrible circumstances. Um, I saw people who helped each other. Mm-hmm. I saw people who supported each other. I saw um you know, we talk about social media being a place where, you know, everybody's everybody thinks they're ten foot tall and bulletproof when they're right. sitting by themselves behind a keyboard and can say whatever they want, and a lot of meanness comes out. Mm-hmm. And there was some of that last week, of course, but not as much as I would have expected given the circumstances. And for the most part, people were supportive. Was that your experience? It was. It was. It was. It was such a blessing to see. People pooling resources, um, people running, uh, making a store run. Uh, you had individuals with four-wheel drives that would say, okay, we're making a run. What do you need? Going around in the, at the different houses. You had people handing out water, firewood, people you know, cutting and splitting firewood and then saying, here, come get it. 
you know, we're giving it to you. Uh, there were so many efforts put forth and so many um, great individuals that just took it upon themselves that they were going to make someone's burden easier. And we said we have seen that in our past, and I'm just very thankful that it is still in our present, yeah. that we have people that are willing to step up and to be a blessing. So what are you going to take out of this? Like you, you five years from now, uh, 10 years from now, um, you're talking to your kids about the, the winter apocalypse 2021. <laughs> what, what is it that you're going to tell them? What are you going to take out of it? I'm going to tell them the same thing that my grandfather and my dad told me is that there is no excuse for you not to be able to take care of yourself. And you should always be making decisions so that you can help yourself and be a help to someone else. If that means that you um, cut wood during the summer to ensure that you've got something, uh, that you don't spend money so that you, you can buy a generator, um, that you think ahead uh, when you start seeing the news come on and say, you know, I might need to have 10 extra gallons of gas. Um, I might need to have, you know, God forbid, as we saw a year ago, a few extra rolls of toilet paper before, you know, and I, it's about if you are taking care of yourself, you're a blessing to the community in events like we've just seen. That's what I'm going to teach my kids. It's what I taught my older ones, and I've got these two little ones now, and I'm going to teach them the same thing. Oh, one day we're going to do the podcast on old guys with young kids. <laughs> you bet. I got a couple more friends that are in our place too. Right, we got we got a podcast, man. We can. You and I can do that one. We know how this one rolls. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. I was. Uh, I, I took my opportunity this time around. To as I drove around town when the roads were bad, I got out on the roads probably Tuesday or Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I spent three years in Alaska, and, right. uh, but I was talking through every maneuver because it was the only time I was ever going to get to teach my eleven-year-olds exactly that. Okay, this is what you got to do when you're doing this, and this is how you approach a, an intersection, and this is how you make a turn or yeah. whatever because they're never going to they're never going to know it before. I mean my no. my kids got a a crash course on survival skills exactly. last week because they were clueless. Exactly. You know, they're Texans. I, 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 yeah. They don't know. They, come on, they're Texans. Cold weather, yes. Yeah, they I don't agree. know about minus 2 people before it happened. We're like yeah. they were like but they say it's going to be minus 2. That's that's not right. <laughs> you know, for, for those that have been around here, remember the 1970s and 80s when we had, you know, we had winter. Sure. And um, though we didn't lose power then, we were used to the um, the responsibility of people with animals of having to cut ice on tanks um, or Hauling water. Anybody that's ever had a show calf or something like that can remember when they were kid the dreaded six o'clock in the morning toting water to your animal. Um, a lot of those old things that we did back then 
came glaring back to the front forefront. My brother and I were cutting ice on my aunt's tank for her cattle to drink, I, and we laughed. We looked at each other and said, who would have thought we would be doing this again? Yeah, I, I heard quite a bit of that from uh, folks who have livestock. Yeah. And, um, you know, they're like, hey, no, if if it was like this all the time, I don't think I'd have livestock. Well, well the thing, thing is, there's this wonderful thing, and many of you have seen it on Facebook, that says 99% of the people have st- that have stock do not like the winter, and they're exactly right because the hardships that it brings. But the reason I say this up is those things that you have to do and learn and live through, we need to pass on and try to adjust ourselves to always be prepared because if we're not prepared, we're not a blessing. All right, and there you go, friends. We're going to end this podcast on the Boy Scout motto, be prepared. Amen. Uh, Judge, thank you very much for giving us a chance to talk to you. Hopefully next about week we can get back to normal and not be in emergency mode. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and, and you don't have to say anything else after that. I mean, that, that, that laugh is I'm going to cut that out and I'm going to use that for something. That's not being funny. That's just, oh, great. Yeah. Uh, next. Yeah. yeah. Hey, you know what we can talk about next week? We can talk that? about the COVID hospitalizations. Oh, man. The, are yes. at a low since last October. Right. We are, we are now below the original highs of July. How, how awesome is that? No, it's fantastic. So, all right. All right. Thank you, folks, for listening. We will see you next week. Thank you, Judge. Thank you. Thank you.